Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people don't accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they haven't believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people loved darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this, uh, your words, Lord, to us now, that by your Spirit, the power to grow us and to teach us to warm our hearts to you and to life with you. And we pray, Lord, that you would do that now. Uh, and Lord, anything that I say that is wrong or 
causes the reverse of that door to be forgotten and dropped. But Lord, that your spirit would pick up words from this passage, Lord, and apply them to our hearts, that we might live in the light of Christ without fear and without shame, without regret, without guilt, only uh, the joy of basking in your grace. Amen. Well, we live in the age of uh, faking it. Have you ever heard the phrase, fake it to make it? It sort of underlies the fear that you might be found out in your job or in your role or as a parent or whatever it is because you're not good enough. And perhaps we're just coming off the edge of that because there's awareness that actually putting up a good show isn't a good thing. So you need to talk about your mental health. You, you actually, you, we long actually at the minute to be open with one another uh, and to be real. So the cry of this age, probably the generation coming through, is to be authentic. Do you, have you ever heard that? They, they were, they're an authentic person. You might not have heard that. That's, that's the thing, right? They long, we long for authenticity. The problem is, is we can't have it. Uh, we're watching the rugby, and in the adverts, uh, there's um, uh, an airline uh, advert, and in it is a whole series of people being authentic. And say so there's an airline hostess, and she's in the mirror, and she's going to put her makeup on, and she goes, mm, I will not. I am not going to wear makeup. I'm going to be authentic. And then there's a woman, I think, no, there's a pilot, and she's driving the plane, and the camera comes around, and it's a woman driving the plane who's being authentic to who she is and not being constrained by male stereotypes. You get the idea, right? Long for authenticity. Or the amazing song, an absolute show stopping song from. Um, Oh, I've forgotten the name of it now. Who can tell me the name of the film? The name of the film with the circus performers who are all considered freaks and the greatest showman. Do we know the song from that? And there's this song called This Is Me. And it's about owning who you are. This is me. I may look weird and I may not conform, but the authentic me is this. And here I am. And it's brilliant. And it's lovely because just because you look different doesn't mean that you're less valuable. Actually, it means that you're precious God's creation. But the problem is, is we can't have authenticity because whilst there's some things that our culture makes us feel ashamed about, like what we look like, there are some things that are actually about us that we ought to be ashamed about. And so we can't be authentic. And Twitter has taught us that, hasn't it? Because the second that we say something, we reveal something about ourselves that is authentic, and maybe something we should be ashamed of, it gets hammered. And so we still exist in the age of faking it, even though we long for authenticity, because sometimes, actually, we do deserve judgment. And the terrible thing is, is that even at the end of all of that, we can fake it to make it only so far, because eventually death has the final say, doesn't it? There's nothing you can do to get around those things that you ought to be ashamed of, and there's nothing you can do or pretend that will get you around death. Nicodemus here knows that there's something in Jesus that will get him into the kingdom of heaven, but he doesn't understand what it is. Uh, he doesn't understand how you enter the kingdom of heaven, and he's thinking, well, what must I do to be there? A bit like our culture and our own hearts. And what we see in this second half, which I think is very rarely taught on because we get carried away with just the first half of Nicodemus, is actually the love of God 
is life in Christ. The love of God is life in Christ, and that deals with the shame and the regret, as well as death. It means that we can live without shame and without regret, and that we can live forever. And the, the problem is, is that it's, it's so unbelievable, it's hard to hear at first. And so, in verses 9 to 13, Jesus says, look, only Jesus can be believed about earthly and heavenly things. He's trying to help us see, we've got to look to him. Do you see what he says there? Nicodemus, how can this be, asked Nicodemus. And Jesus says, you're Israel's teacher, uh, but you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. It becomes clear that our testimony is Jesus, isn't it? It's the royal we. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Now look, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Do you see the point? The point is, is you may be a very wise and learned teacher, but you don't believe even the things that God wants to tell you about earthly things. Well, how are you going to believe things about heavenly stuff? What you need to do is to understand uh, verse 10. You need to accept our testimony, verse 11. You need to believe verse 12. Uh, verse 12, you've got to believe the things that I speak to you. And why is that? It is because what's Jesus' qualification as the Son of Man? It's where he's come from and what he's seen and what he knows. Do you see that? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. That's his first qualification. Verse 12, I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do, uh, um, oh sorry, uh, we testify to what we have seen, uh, we speak of what we know, verse 11, but you don't believe it. You, you've got to understand that when you're dealing with Jesus, you're dealing with the ultimate authority on what life on earth looks like, and what life in heaven looks like, and the reason for that is, is because he's come from heaven, and he knows and he sees everything. There is nothing he hasn't known and he hasn't seen. There's nothing about heaven he doesn't get because that's where he comes from as the Son of God. This is really crucial for us in our culture where there are many truths, aren't there? But the question is, is which truth do you want to give your life to? Now personally, I don't want to bet my life on anything, as we've been hearing, apart from the unchangeable word of God. If you were ill, who would you trust your illness and your health to? Your own understanding of medicine? Or maybe your mate's understanding of medicine, who's a bit of a hobby, you know, maybe it's a bit of herbology. Or would you trust the consultant? Because of where they've come from, what they've seen and what they know. It's no good entrusting my life to Muhammad because he's not been in heaven, he's not the Son of God, and he doesn't see and know everything about earth and heaven. It's no good entrusting my life and my death and my shame and my guilt now and how all that works to what I picked up at school or what I feel in my heart is the right thing. Not when I've got someone in the room who says, 
Or you could listen to me as the person who came from heaven and has known and seen everything. I think when we explain this to people in those terms, you think, what's the nature of the authority that you're trusting your life to? That's a question I want to ask people, and I want to ask my own heart all the time. That's a question, I think, for you guys as you're growing up as well, and you're working out, is Jesus worth it? Who are you going to trust your life to? It's a question you want to ask your peers as well. Actually, I want to trust my life to the one person who's known and seen everything because he's come from heaven. Who can you find who's going to have a better knowledge or a better sight or a better understanding of things on earth and things in heaven than Jesus? He's the one we want to believe. It's his word and his testimony we want to accept because there is life. And that's the wonderful thing, isn't it? Is he goes on to explain to Nicodemus what the deal is with life. There's eternal life by believing in, crucified, in the crucified Jesus. That's the next section we get in verse 14 to 18. There's eternal life in believing in Christ, uh, the crucified Jesus. It's, it's so black and white, this passage. It is so black and white. That's not fashionable in art culture, is it? In fact, being black and white is something that's rather frowned upon. And often John 3.16 is wheeled out to show, no, God loves everybody. But just have a look at how black and white this is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is a question of perishing or having eternal life. This is the biggest question that you or your friends or your family will ever negotiate. There is no bigger question than this. Will you perish or will you have eternal life? It's what makes being an evangelist one of the best things about being a Christian, is you're dealing with the big question all the time. And look how black and white it is. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever uh, does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Nobody loves quoting John 3, 16, 17 and 18 because verse 18 makes it clear how black and white this life and death situation is. There's eternal life by believing in the crucified Jesus and it is wonderfully simple. Let's go back to verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. What's the idea? Have eternal life? That is the big theme, isn't it? How do you have it? It's by the Son of Man being lifted up. So this is referencing Numbers uh, chapter 21, uh, an incident where God, uh, God's people had sinned against God and God sent snakes uh, as his wrath and they bite the, the people of God and the people of God are dying literally because of their sin. And so Moses prays, he intercedes on behalf of God's people and he says what we've got to do is we get a pole and uh, we put a bronze snake on the end of the pole up here, there's our little snake, and then we lift it up, and then anyone who looks at it is saved. Just look at your shoes, or somewhere where you've been bitten, okay, and now look at that. That's about how much effort it takes for us to receive eternal life. Isn't that extraordinary? It's that easy. So, literally, 
Jesus is saying that he is going to be lifted up on the cross. Oh, I don't want to do that too much. He's going to be lifted up on the cross. And all we have to do is look to him. And believe that he is the son of God dying for our sin. We're almost to we're totally passive in that, aren't we? We're just receiving Jesus and receiving eternal life. It's that easy. You know, no wonder Nicodemus doesn't get it. Because it's just too easy, isn't it? It seems too simple. But we've got to accept the testimony of the one who's come from heaven and knows all things and who has been promised in the Old Testament in this weird story, which suddenly makes so much sense when Jesus is lifted up on the cross and we are asked to look to him. And you might be thinking, well, why would God do that? Why would he give us eternal life so easily and at such great expense? That's John 3.16 and why we love that verse. Because it gives us his motive for it. It's not to make himself look good. It's not, you know, because he needs us in some way. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son as an undeserved gift that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's grace, the undeserved gift, born of God's love. And so just to be totally clear, verse 17, so God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Isn't it tragic that often the presence of Jesus makes people feel condemned? That's tragic, because that's not why he came. He came to save and to do that by dying on the cross, so that anyone who even looks at him and believes that he is the Son of God, like that thief on the cross, will have eternal life and be in paradise with him. Your eternal fate hangs upon how you look at Jesus. Will you look at him and see the Son of God lifted up for you on the cross, taking your punishment? It is that black and white. If you do not, you still stand condemned. Without Jesus, you are condemned before God. You sit in your shame and your guilt, and the death and hell is to come. But with Jesus is life and forgiveness. The love of God is this life in Christ. If you've not got this life in Christ, you've not got the full love of God. And so it is not loving for us to not be black and white about this. To be loving, we've got to be black and white about these things. Because otherwise people are missing out on the love of God that is life in Christ. And so if that's you here today, if you're not yet a Christian, you've not really thought, I'm not sure about receiving Jesus, can I say that there is nothing more important than you receiving Jesus and just saying, Lord, I'm so sorry I got it wrong. Thank you for dying for me. I believe that you're the Lord and I want to live my life with you. Please help me do that. There can be no greater or more important moment or prayer or words that you ever utter. Because in that moment you have received eternal life in Christ and you'll know the love of God. But also we'll be people who live without shame. That's the next little bit. Isn't this wonderful? Verse 19 onwards. Look, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. 
Jesus people live without shame. But non-Jesus people will live with shame and their death that is coming. Jesus people live without shame. It, it's clear here, isn't it, that there's a heart issue going on. It's about what we love. Do you love the dark or do you, and the deeds that go on in there, or do you love the light? That's Jesus who comes and by his Holy Spirit exposes our deeds for what they are. What do you love? Do you see the motive here? Of those who reject the light is the people loved darkness instead of light. And why do they love that? Because their deeds were evil. You may worry about giving your life to Jesus because coming into the light is uncomfortable because it means you'll have to own up to the evil deeds, actually the things you're ashamed of and guilty of, that either you still enjoy and you still want to hang on to, or you're just too ashamed to bring them out into the light. That might be what's preventing you. But don't worry, because God gave his son so that all that might be forgiven. Let go of that and instead receive the love of God and love him for that. That might be the motive. You know, you want to hide uh, the evil that you love. But those who live by the truth, here's the contrast in verse 21, but whoever lives by the truth, isn't that interesting? Not whoever lives perfectly, not whoever lives as if they were Jesus, but those who live by the truth. What's the truth here? That you're forgiven if you look to Jesus. That you've got eternal life. If you live by that truth, then you love coming into the light. Why? so that it may be seen plainly by everyone that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Christians who get grace, they live open lives. They're not ashamed about the evil deeds they do or the guilt they carry because they know they've been forgiven. They know they have life. Do you see that? I think this is why Christians often want to fake it to make it. Is when sin creeps into our lives and we don't want to own it before one another. Why don't we want to own it before one another? Why don't we want to say to each other, do you know, I've got this wrong, I sinned here. Please will you pray for me, sister or brother? Why don't we want to do that? I think it's because we've forgotten that we're in the light and we think we will need to hide everything in the darkness. But we've forgotten, haven't we, that we're forgiven. That that doesn't define us anymore. We've forgotten that even that. Do you see that? I think when we first get grace, we think we're saved and we're forgiven. Hooray. And then as we go on in our Christian life and we sin, the danger is as we try and hide the sin. Or we're surprised by sin in our life, and so we want to get rid of it and hide it from church or, or whatever it is. I think that's a terrible way to go. It means you've forgotten the truth that you're forgiven, that you've got life. We've just been, we've just been in Amsterdam. In Amsterdam, they went through the massive reformation, uh, and so they proclaimed the gospel of forgiveness. And, you know, it's reflected in their architecture. When you're running around in Amsterdam, they've got these dirty great big windows like this in the wall on the ground floor. And no one shuts their windows. So the lights are on and you can see everything that's going on in the house. And as a Brit, I, I pucker up with, about that. 
But the reason they do that is because they wanted people literally to see this verse that everyone might see plainly that what they're doing is being done in the sight of God. They're totally open with their lives. Whereas when I'm on my computer screen, I don't know if you do this, but I slightly angle it so other people can't see what I'm up to. Does anyone do that? I stood next to a guy in the queue for the airline and he's watching a video on his phone with his wife next to him and he's got his hand like this. Oh, that's weird. I look over. He's got some you know, woman on it doing a dance or something. He doesn't want his wife to see. That's what I'm like. But actually what this says is we should be like people in Amsterdam with a big hole in our life. Because we're not ashamed. We know we're going to get it wrong, but we know we're forgiven. It's so important because no one as a Christian sets out to end up in adultery. No one as a Christian sets out to be a minister who abuses their congregation. No one as a Christian sets out to be an angry person. But do you know what the first step on those roads is? Is to hide the first instance of sin. Is not to bring it out into the light of Jesus and his grace and say, I got this wrong and I need help with it. The bloke with the phone, he needs to get that out with a Christian mate and say, do you know what, I've been watching this on my phone. Because otherwise, in a few years' time, he's probably going to be cheating on his wife. That's how it starts. We try and hide it. Because we st and the reason we do that, I think, is because we stop believing in the truth that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So living in the light with Jesus means basking in the love of God that is life in Christ. And so the aim of this passage, I think, is that we would live confidently in the sight of God, both the good things we do and the bad things we do, that we would do it free from guilt and free from shame, and that we'd enjoy life forever. That's what we can hold out to the world and what we can enjoy. I love that uh, in here we did the men's rugby event, and uh, we had Colin White, who's an ex-Scottish um, rugby international, and we introduced him at the beginning, we watched the first half, he did a half-time talk on faith and, and uh, how great it was to follow Jesus and how rubbish it was to win rugby competitions. Which sounds unconvincing now, but it was very convincing at the time. And then at the end, uh, we did questions. And brilliantly, one of the guys asked him this question. He said, what is your biggest regret? And I stood next to him and I thought back over my limited sporting career. And I thought with shame about lots of the things that I'd done. And I thought, oh gosh, what's going to come out of his mouth? And what came out of his mouth was, I don't have any regrets. I don't have any guilt. Because it's all been forgiven by Jesus. So I don't live with regret. You should try it. Isn't that great? That's what we need to remember as Christians when we come to this verse. Is not only are we proclaiming a gospel which is black and white, a matter of life and death forever to those who are around us, but also for our own hearts, that we need to remember we're forgiven and that enables us to live without regret and guilt and to do that with one another. We're not surprised by the fact that we sin. We are excited that we are forgiven and we don't hide in the darkness because we walk in the light of Christ that is his grace and we walk in the love of God that is life in Christ Jesus. And we will do that forever.
And one day we'll be in a place where there'll be no darkness and no night, just the glory of the Lord radiating. And we'll never forget his grace. Won't that be wonderful? Let's pray we walk in the light till then. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you would come and testify to this amazing truth, but then also live it out and be lifted up on that cross that we might live in the light. Lord, that we might live uh, according to the truth, that we might not be ashamed of anything we do, but do it plainly in front of everyone, even the things that go wrong, so that they might see that we rely on you for forgiveness and for life and that our own hearts might remember that. Keep us, Lord, from forgetting your grace and your very great love so that we feel like we need to hide our sin. Help us to be authentic human beings who depend upon you for grace each day and, Lord, who can say, this is my God, this is my Lord, who loves me this much that even though I've got this wrong, uh, I am still his forever. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.